0: I'm going to share with you from 1 Corinthians 16 and also 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. The title of my message today is The Joy of Giving. The Joy of Giving. You know, polls have shown uh, that 17% of people in the church say they tithe, but uh, in reality only 3% do. Tithe, of course, is giving the 10th of your earnings. Um, 40%, one poll Found forty percent of churchgoers give nothing to the church. Give nothing. Ninety-one um, uh, percent uh, said in this polls a few years ago said they're making more money than ever, and yet forty percent of churchgoers give nothing to the church. Um, one pastor stood before his church and said, "I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is the church has all the money it needs." The bad news is it's still in your pockets. (laughs) Many people's attitude toward money is like the one young man who had an accident while driving his car. And it was quite a spectacular accident. When the policeman arrived, he found the young man. He was a wealthy young man. He found the young man standing over his car saying, oh, my BMW. Oh, my BMW. Oh, my BMW. The officer said, your BMW, are you crazy? Look how mangled your arm is. He looked down at his arm and said, oh, my Rolex, oh, my Rolex, oh, my Rolex. We place a a premium on things and material wealth. But you know what? Wealth comes from God. Blessings come from God, as we've been singing about this morning. God is a good God. God is the source of everything we have. And the Bible has a lot to say about giving. and In the Corinthian epistles, uh, Paul had urged the Corinthians to give to the needy churches in uh, in uh, Jerusalem, and uh, he held up, as we'll see, the Macedonian churches where Philippi was located as examples uh, of, of of a church that uh, that gave uh, regularly. And so, um, I want to share with you some principles of giving, and. Uh, my, my goal is not to be um, uh, heavy or harsh today, but is to share the truth of God's word. How many know we always benefit from the truth of God's word? And uh, if, if you haven't found the secret of giving and the blessing of giving, that's okay. We're not here to condemn, but I want to share with you uh, the word of God and uh, ho- hopefully it will Uh, it will uh, open the floodgates of blessing as God said in in Malachi that God would bless you as you give to him. So I want to share with you uh, some principles uh, regarding giving. The first one is this. It's it's found in 1 Corinthians 16 in the first four verses. and We're going to read verse 2 in a minute. But the principle is this. Giving should be deliberate. Giving should be deliberate. Paul uh, said, as he introduced the subject of them giving to the Jerusalem churches. he says in 1 Corinthians 16:2, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, the Jerusalem saints may have become poverty-stricken because of the famine recorded in Acts chapter 11, or because of the persecution of Jerusalem Christians mentioned in Acts 8 verse 1. Paul gives several principles here, or several aspects here, of the fact that their giving should be deliberate. What's the opposite of deliberate? Kind of haphazard, kind of casual, kind of whatever happens. You know, that's a word in our culture, whatever. He's saying we shouldn't have a whatever uh, attitude toward our giving to the Lord. He mentions three aspects of this. First of all, uh, in, in regard to their giving being being delivered, it says it should be regular. It says on the first day of every week. Sunday, of course, the day we meet. It was the day in the New Testament. and in, in, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was Saturday, but Sunday, the day of the Lord's resurrection, became the day of worship for the church, and we carry that on to this day. So he said it should be regular. We should give regularly. Uh, Secondly, he said it should be proportional. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So it should be proportional to our income. We believe in Harvest Church in the tithe, giving the tenth off of the top. Uh, The Old Testament, of course, uh, talked thoroughly about that. Some say, well, uh, that's not a principle in the New Testament. Well, Jesus affirmed the tithe. Uh, and he he talked about those who only tithed and they didn't have a heart of worship, but he said you should have done the former without neglecting the latter. In other words, you should be tithing. You should give the tenth. When my wife and I got married and we started out as a youth pastor, we made very, very little money. But I had been raised to give the tithe, to give the Lord the tenth off the top, the first tenth, right? How many know if we we give the last tenth, it might not be there? She was raised the same way. And we made an agreement before we ever walked down the aisle, we made an agreement that however little or however much we earned, the first tenth would go to the Lord, as a minimum. The Bible talks about tithing over, as a minimum. And so we have practiced that for over 42 years of marriage. I don't look that old, do I? Don't comment. Um, we, we have practiced that all through our marriage, through lean times, through... Uh, through better times, and God has been faithful. And uh, we've never lacked, we've never wanted for anything. So proportional. Thirdly, he said it should be planned. He says, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So it should be deliberate. It should be regular, proportional, and planned. Before each year begins, I... Uh, I look at our finances and determine what, uh, out of each paycheck what money will have to go where. And it goes quickly, you know that, right? And it's amazing all the places it has to go. But the very first thing we determine is what's the tithe going to be. And if, there's a, if it's a year where there's an there's a, there's a increase in pay or there's a raise, I have to figure out the new amount out of each paycheck what that's going to be. And so I know before the year starts this much will go, Toward the Lord's work, as a minimum, aside from offerings, what God lays in my heart, but as a minimum, the tithe, and so uh, that you know that's that's deliberate giving. Uh, it, it it says, Lord, you've been so good to me, as we've sung this morning, and Lord, I I I don't want to give to you haphazardly, kind of like the the boy who. Uh, threw all his coins up in the air. He heard a preacher preach about giving. He threw all his coins up in the air and said, Lord, whatever comes down, I'll keep, but whatever stays up in the air, you can have. That's, that is the, the, the polar opposite of being deliberate in your giving. Amen? So... Um, God expects to give us to give to Him first before we spend on ourselves. If you're here today or watching online, and and you haven't uh, taken that step of faith to obey the Word of God and give that tenth off the top, give to God before you give to any anything else or before you spend on anything else. I challenge you to take a step of faith and trust God. You know, in Malachi, he, he talks about breathing, uh, bringing into the storehouse God's tithe, and that's the only place in Scripture where he says, test me in this and see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven and bless you. It's the only place, and I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But our giving should be deliberate. It shouldn't be haphazard. And I want to challenge you, if you haven't before, to consider being deliberate about what you give to God. And so many many are, and thank God for that. The ministries of this church couldn't go on without your faithful giving. But I believe God wants to increase the percentage of people who give regularly to the Lord so our church can do more. So giving should be deliberate. What's the second principle we find? It's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, verses 1 through 3, and that is that giving is often sacrificial. In talking about the Macedonian churches, as I said, as an example of giving, Paul says this in verse 2, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Giving is often sacrificial. The Macedonian churches gave to the needy churches in Jerusalem based upon the grace of God given to them, Paul says in verse 1. Listen to the description Paul gives of, of their giving. They gave out of the most severe trial, with overflowing joy, in extreme poverty, with rich generosity, as much as and even beyond what they were able. And they urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Wow. You see, sometimes we say, well, you know, Pastor I've heard for years about giving, but man, you know, finances have been tough, and we had COVID, and... Uh, you know, I, I, finances have been a struggle. I'm, I, I'm barely getting by as it is. I can't imagine taking 10% and giving it to God and other, other offerings when I'm already having it, having it so so tight. And, you know, when, when things get better, right, when, things get, when, when, when I get that raise, when I get that promotion, when I get that new job and things start, you know, I get some of these long-term bills paid off, boy, then I'm, really, I'm going to start giving to the church, to God's work. You know how that works out, don't you? When never comes. You see, God's blessing is on our finances when we obey him, even when it's tough, even when it's a sacrificial gift. And that's what the Philippian churches did. Mother Teresa said this, if you give something you can live without, it's not giving. Think about that. You see... The proper motivation for giving, the proper rationale for giving to the Lord's work isn't, well, uh, you know, if I, can, if I can somehow squeeze it out, if I can somehow find a way, the proper motivation is, Lord, uh, you've given everything to me. I want to give to you a portion of that with which you've blessed me. Pastor Tim, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Giving is not always easy or painless. As I said, my wife and I started out, we made very little money, but God's tithe came off the top. And it was tough some weeks. It was tough. But you know what? There's something about giving when it's difficult. Like the Macedonian churches gave out a severe trial, and, and, and there's something about saying, Lord, it's, it's not about me. It's about you and your work, and so I'm going to give you what's yours. I'm going to give you what's yours. So giving is often sacrificial. We, we might hear people say, if I were rich, I'd give away most of my money. You know, the studies show that uh, the wealthier most people are, the smaller percentage of uh, their uh, wealth they give away than people of lower incomes. Studies don't bear out the fact that most people who start making more money and become wealthy give more proportionately. They don't. So it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. Are we willing to give sacrificially? Thirdly, this morning, giving involves giving of ourselves. You see, financial giving is one aspect of a giving heart. When we have a giving heart, We give of ourselves. And um, he he gives an example here in verse 5. He says, uh, and they, meaning the Macedonian churches, did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They They gave themselves to the Lord. Can I tell you something? If God has my heart, he has my wallet and everything else in my possession. If God has my heart, He has my paycheck. He has my wealth. He has all my possessions, if He has my heart. And, and the, the thing that we do, though, is we hold back apart. God, all, all, all this area of my life is yours. God, all this area of my life is yours. God, I, I surrender this to you. What You want my money? Just who do you think you are, God? Now, we would never say that to God, hopefully. But that's what our attitude says. And so it's giving of oneself. And that's what the Macedonians did. Jim Elliott, one of the five missionaries murdered by the Alka Indians, when he, whom he came to South America to evangelize, had written in his diary, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. As I've shared with you later on, his wife Gloria came and won to Christ those very same tribesmen who had killed her husband. The Elliots were people who knew to give of themselves. See, for some people, giving the finances is easy. Not everyone, but some people. Tithe, no problem. And a tithe is seen as just just one of the bills, payment. But giving up my giving up my time, getting involved in ministry, doing the work of the Lord—boy, that's tougher. See, but when we give God everything, finances are just a part of everything. Amen. We need to give ourselves. Say, Pastor Tim, you don't understand. I back in back in you know 2002, I came to an altar and I surrendered my heart to the Lord. I gave Him everything. Well, you know what? It's, it, it's okay to renew that gift. <laughs> how, may, how many know rededications are, are, are certainly in order and proper? Lord, I give you everything. Maybe at an altar we're moved emotionally or moved by a message, and, and that's, that's awesome. But you know what happens? Life happens. And, things ha- and attitudes change, and we kind of start holding back little parts of ourselves. We need to renew our dedication to the Lord. Lord, I give you everything. I give you myself. And that includes everything uh, that I have. So giving involves giving of ourselves. Fourthly this morning, giving ministers to others. Giving ministers to others. Uh, Paul said, verse 13, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Verse 14, At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. When we give to God's work, we bless other people. We bless the people who will be blessed by those ministries. Sometimes we give people, we, 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 our giving goes toward blessing people who are in need. You know, isn't that, isn't that awesome? That we can impact the lives of, of those who, who, who need help. And so it ministers to others. Um, he talks about equality. The Bible here is not promoting communism, which teaches equality of wealth regardless of effort, but it's teaching that Christians should help those who are truly needy. This can be done directly, of course, but also through the church. Giving blesses other ministries as well, such as missionaries, parachurch organizations. And God has used uh, Harvest Church to to serve food to the homeless, to support missionaries, support missions trips, to support ministries around the world. So when you give, you are ministering to other People, And you may say, Pastor Tim, I don't really know what ministry I can fulfill. Well, here's one. You can give and see God use your finances to bless others. One other thing that we do, and and we haven't had a missions convention in several years, uh, we're we're looking into having one this fall to emphasize giving to missions. Another part of our giving, separate over and above our tithe and offering, is my wife and I give to missions every month. Several of you do that. A separate offering toward our missionaries. Why? Because it's a blessing to give to needs, amen, and to minister to others. So, giving ministers to others. What's the fifth principle we need to look at this morning? Is that giving must be administered wisely. This is more an admonition to the, the the church leadership than the church body. Look at verse number twenty of of. 2 Corinthians 8, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In the verses before that, he talked about sending a trusted brother, Titus, with the offerings that would be collected. And he says here, we are taking great pains to do things properly, in other words, to handle these finances, not only in the sight of God, but in the sight of men. How many know that's important? And, and our church, since its inception, more than thirty, almost thirty-one years ago, uh, we've had we've had principles in place about people handling money, counting money, and being deposited, and uh, and, and we've we've held to that the whole time. And uh, in our in our annual business meeting, the end of February, we have a financial report to the membership, so you can see members can see where the money has gone, can ask questions. And uh, we, we, we're, we're an open book. Why? Because of this principle, we need to handle God's money wisely. How many know we're all stewards of what God places in our hands, individually and collectively as a church body? And so it's important to us in leadership, it always has been, and always will be, that this church body and anyone else uh, who may observe would know that what you give to our church is handled responsibly and wisely. Uh, that, that, that there be no question about how the money is handled. And I've heard and you've heard about many church scandals involving money. And uh, God's been good to us. We've been able uh, to administer it wisely. And we pledge to continue to do that. Um, what's the sixth principle here we see? Moving right along. Uh, it's this. I love this. Giving should always be done joyfully... Never grudgingly. Look in chapter 9 at uh, verse 2. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. And then down in verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. They were enthusiastic in their attitude toward giving, and Paul's urging them to follow through. But he says, "I, I, I took note of your enthusiasm." A number of years ago, probably 15 years ago or so, we had a, a new couple come to church, um, about our age or so, and um, we—they uh, wanted to. Uh, they were mature Christians and. Uh, wanted to get with us and w- took us out to, to dinner and, and we fellowship with them. And they said to us, um, they said, we want you to know God has led us to your church and we want you to know that we love to give. And so we, we give our tithe, but whatever uh, need there is that we can give to, we would love to know about it because we want to give. So after my wife and I got up off of the floor, um, we said, wow, that's awesome. And they did give while they were, they're not here any longer, but they did give. They were enthusiastic about it. Why? Because, because they wanted to obey the word of God, for one thing, and they knew uh, how God treats givers, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But But... Uh, giving should be done joyfully, never under compulsion, as Paul says here. God loves a cheerful giver, you know? God. Listen, you don't have to be happy about paying the electric bill, you know, or paying your taxes. I get it, I'm not very happy about it either. But we can be joyful about giving to God, amen? Sowing our seed in good soil. And so he says we should be enthusiastic, not like the deacon in this church, a country preacher was talking to his congregation, and he, you know, he got into that little bit of a sing-song kind of chant. He said, let the church walk. And deacon Jones said, let it walk, brother. Preacher said, let the church run. The deacon replied, let it run. Then the preacher said, let the church fly. The deacon said, let it fly, brother. The preacher said, now it's going to take money to let it fly. The deacon said, let it walk, brother, let it walk. You mean the ministries of the church cost money? You know, we have tried for 30 years to get the electric company to to just give us power for free because we're doing the Lord's work. Strangely enough, they haven't bought it. It costs money. And, and, And so... Uh, so it's, it's a joy to give to the Lord's work. Matthew ten eight says, freely you have received, freely give. Now, there's nothing wrong with presenting a need so that God's people are aware of it. I have no problem doing that from time to time. Uh, one year we had our main, uh, our, our main HVAC unit uh, go out and we needed to replace it and it wasn't cheap. And, uh, you know, we put out a plea to the body and we, we got that paid for, the, the new one paid for quickly. So I don't have a problem with that. But I don't believe we should have to be pressured into giving, you know? I, it, it should be joyful. So uh, we, we should desire to give because Christ gave us all for us. Well, let's move on. Principle number seven, giving brings blessing to the giver. Some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, I was waiting for you to get to that. Verse 6 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, The analogy here is from farming. The farmer will reap a, a crop only in proportion to what he has sown. That makes sense, doesn't it? Similarly, God blesses someone to the extent they give, not based on the amount they give, but to the extent of their willingness to give. What, what, why does God do that? Two reasons. Number one, so their needs will be met. Not their wants. Okay? I know some may teach you, 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 give, you give to God and God owes you. God doesn't owe you a thing. Or me. Amen? Amen? He didn't promise to give us all our wants. He didn't promise to make us abundantly wealthy. If he does with you, God bless you. But he did promise to meet our needs. He did promise to take care of us, amen? God will meet our needs, and also he blesses us to increase our ability to do good deeds, to bless others. Things going well for you? God blessing you? You got a raise? You got unexpected income? Why does God give you that? Well, there's nothing wrong with spending it on yourself sometimes for nice things, but consider that God may increase your wealth so you can, in a greater way, bless others. Amen? Amen? But God blesses the giver. When we regularly and even sacrificially give to God, his blessing is on our finances. I've said this many times, and so many have found this to be true. For the tither, 90% or, uh, or less goes further than 100%. Amen? When, when we live on 90% and give God the 10th, or we live on less than that and give God more, God our, God's blessings on our finances, and it goes further than if we kept it all for ourselves. Pastor Tim, that doesn't make sense. Well, not in, in our economy, but in God's economy, it makes perfect sense. I'd much rather have God's blessing on my finances than not, wouldn't you? Amen. Our other resources are also blessed when we give to God. However, our motivation in giving to God should never be to get back, but to give in obedience to God's word, and see what God does for you. And the scripture in Malachi mentioned, he said, I'm going to throw open the windows of heaven and pour blessings on you that you can't even contain. Hallelujah! How many found that to be true when we give to God? Last principle is this, giving brings praise to God. In verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 9, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks... To God Uh, Jesus said in John 15 14 you are my friends if you do what I command Paul says here there will be an overflow of expressions of thanksgiving to God men will praise God for the givers generosity and uh, when 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 we give God is you know God is blessed the Bible talks about giving a cup of water uh, in Jesus name we don't give so we can say look look what I gave right? That's, that's, that's nobody else's business. And, and I, I have a real problem with people who boast about their wealth or boast about what they gave. You know, a church like this, and any, any church, really, we have people of all different income levels. We have people who are, you know, some might call wealthy. We have some people who are just getting by. But you know what? Uh, they, they give proportionally what they can give, and, and God is praised because of it. Amen? Amen. Believers who profess Jesus as Lord represent him to others and when through giving of themselves in some way they help meet a need, they give evidence of their profession and bring glory to God. As a matter of fact, every act of kindness one does as a believer should bring glory to God. So in conclusion this morning, our giving should be deliberate, sacrificial. We should give of ourselves, our giving ministers to others. It must be administered wisely, should always be done joyfully, never grudgingly. It brings blessing to the giver and brings praise to God. I want to conclude with this one story, and then we're going to receive the offering. You thought I forgot. This is based on a sermon by missionary Del Tar, who served 14 years in West Africa with a missions agency. He said, I was always perplexed by Psalm 126, which says, they who sow in tears will reap in joy. He said, until I went to the Sahel, the vast stretch of Savannah, uh, more than 4,000 miles wide under the Sahara Desert. In the Sahel, all the moisture comes in a four-month period, May, June, July, and August. After that, not a drop of rain falls for eight months. The ground cracks from dryness and so do your hands and feet. The winds of the Sahara pick up the dust and throw it thousands of feet into the air. It comes slowly drifting across West Africa as a fine grid. It gets in your mouth, it gets uh, inside your watch and stops it. The year's food, of course, must all be grown in those four months. October and November, he said, those are beautiful months. The granaries are full, the harvest has come, people sing and dance, they eat two meals a day. The sorghum is ground between two stones to make flour, then a mush with the consistency of yesterday's cream of wheat. The sticky mush is eaten hot, they roll it into little balls between their fingers, drop it into a bit of sauce and pop it in their mouths. The meal lies heavy on their stomachs so they can sleep. December comes and the granaries start to recede. Many families omit the morning meal. Certainly by January, not one family in 50 is still eating two meals a day. By February, the evening meal diminishes. The meal shrinks even more during March and children succumb to sickness. You don't stay well on half a meal a day. April is the month, he says, that haunts my memory. In it, you hear babies crying in the twilight. Most of the days are passed with only an evening cup of gruel. Then, inevitably, it happens. Listen to this. A six- or seven-year-old boy comes running to his father one day with sudden excitement. Daddy, daddy, we've got grain, he shouts. Son, you know we haven't had grain for weeks. Yes, we have, the boy insists. Out in the hut where we keep the goats, there's a leather sack hanging on the wall. I reached up and put my hand down in there. Daddy, there's grain in there. Give it to Mommy so we can make flour, and tonight our tummies can sleep. The father stands practically motionless and says, Son, we can't do that. That's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing between us and starvation. We're waiting for the rains and then we must use it. The rains finally arrive in May, and when they do, the young boy watches as his father takes the sack from the wall and does the most unreasonable thing imaginable. Instead of feeding his desperately weakened family, he goes to the field with tears streaming down his face. He takes the precious seed and throws it away. He scatters it in the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. The seed is his. He owns it. He can do with it anything he wants. The act of sowing, it hurts so much that he cries. But as the African pastors say when they preach on Psalm 126, brothers and sisters, this is the law of God's harvest. Don't expect to rejoice later on unless you have been willing to sow in tears. He goes on and says, and I want to ask you, how much would it cost you to sow in tears? I don't just mean giving God something from your abundance, but finding a way to say I believe in the harvest and therefore I will give what makes no sense. The world would call me unreasonable to do this, but I must sow regardless in order that I may someday rejoice with songs of joy. They who sow in tears shall reap with joy. I believe in the harvest. I believe in the principle of sowing and reaping. We don't give because it makes sense to our human mind, but because we believe in the law of the harvest, sowing and reaping. So when we give to God, we are planting seed in good soil. We're obeying the word of God and doing his work.